Hello, welcome back to the Classical Music Pod. In today's episode, guitar guru Milos invents a new game with Sam as they chat about his latest album. BBC Young Musician of the Year inspires some analysis of an underperformed gem by British composer Ruth Gipps. And a really genuinely good samba band rehearse in the neighbouring garden whilst we record the news quiz, so you may well hear them too. Listeners might remember two episodes ago, we covered the choristership debate following the news that Worcester Cathedral was allowing girls Mm. to have the same access to scholarships as boys. Yeah, really good news. And we got some really nice messages off listeners there. Thanks to Joe Cowie for his. Uh, If you want to drop us a line, then send us a message on Twitter or an email to theclassicalmusicpod at gmail.com. And with that Warwickshire news in mind, which cathedral has this week announced that from September 2022, boys and girls will sing an equal number of services each week and receive an identical percentage fee award throughout their time in the choir. Oh, that's good news that there's more cathedrals on the train. I don't know which one it is. Are they going to be separate choirs or the same? Yeah, they will still be separate choirs. Uh, The answer is Ely. Oh, good Um, on Ely. Yeah, like many other cathedrals across the country the two choirs as i say will remain separate for the bulk of services and combine for big events only does that count as complete parity of workload and recognition in quotes which is what the cathedral's press release stated possibly i think it's a step forwards isn't yes. it? And you've got to applaud anything that's moving in the right direction because they've probably got competing interests to balance yeah. over there. I used to eat cheese with the now uh, Bishop of Ely, so I feel like I can't criticise him too much. He's a nice old bloke. No, you definitely can't. So as I say, we covered the debate in detail at the beginning of our Julian Bliss episode, so go back and have a listen if it interests you. While we're on the subject, Sam... Which UK cathedral has announced it may have to close permanently due to lack of funds? Well, that's bad news. Um, I feel out of step with all the cathedral news. I'm not sure. I know that up and down the country, churches and cathedrals are having real financial tough times, so Mm. best of luck to them all. The answer is St Paul's Cathedral. The world-famous London landmark is facing its worst financial crisis in 300 years after ticket sales, on which it almost entirely relies, crashed during the pandemic. I mean, the news comes despite St Paul's receiving 3.3 million from the government's 1.57 billion culture recovery fund. Why is this relevant to us on the Classical Music Pod, I hear Mm. you asking? Because the renowned Cathedral Choir in existence since the 13th century, and still only admitting boy choristers, by the way, may have to be disbanded. Andrew Carwood, the director of music, said other expenses such as a rotting roof mean that they can't pay the adult singers. Well, that would be tragic. Uh, I believe it's in the Book of Timothy, Mm. uh, where they say that the church is a people, not a building. And so maybe the roof should rot and the people should get together and sing and have a nice time. I would actually appreciate that if you want to get people together, you do need a building. And it's one of the most amazing buildings in the world. So maybe don't let it rot. It's just a really tough time. And I hope they can balance those priorities. Mm. Yeah. Quick trivia question. Can you name any former St. Paul's Cathedral choristers? Uh, I think the famous one is Chef, so Alistair Cook, isn't it? That's uh, right. Who puts his concentration at the crease down to clarinet practice and staying awake in dark and F. Absolutely. The others include John Stainer, Ooh, yeah. William Boyce, Robin Holloway, and Simon Russell Beale. Ah, oh, he's so good in Death of Stalin. I'd mm. watch him do that every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever the state of crisis at St. Paul's, Andrew Carwood can at least 
console himself in the knowledge that he doesn't have to kowtow to a murderous dictator. Sam, this is quite heavy, actually. Which head of state this week ordered the execution via firing squad of a choral conductor? Well, I guess it's got to be somewhere with a terrible regime, like maybe North Korea. Correct. According to an article written by North Korean reporter and defector Ju Song-ha, the conductor of the Korean People's Army National Choir, Hyun Ho-ryu, or possibly Hyun Woo-chu, it's not been verified, uh, had led a celebratory performance for the anniversary of the birth of Kim Jong-il, father of the current Supreme Leader. Uh, After the performance, the conductor made a disparaging comment to a fellow musician about one element of the show, as a piece of shadow theatre, that Kim had particularly liked. And that comment made its way back to Kim, who took it as a personal slight and ordered the man's public execution. That is uh, totally appalling. It doesn't seem real, does it? No. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, but as you know, this kind of thing is tragically quite common in North Mm. Korea. I, I don't know if you remember when several members of the Milky Way Orchestra, which was set up by Kim's father, were executed in 2013, reportedly in front of family members, possibly as part of a purge of institutions perceived as loyal to the previous regime. Anyway, let's perform a quick segue into something less miserable. How about the power of music to bring about healing? Strong segue. In the streets of which South American city has an orchestra performed Aaron Copeland's fanfare for the common man after several protesters were killed during an anti-government march the previous day? Ooh, I don't know. I feel that I've probably not got any of these questions right. But it's a fantastic reminder of the Steinbeckian tradition, the fanfare for the common man, Mm. as a proper anti-exclusive, anti-elite kind of piece of music. Mm -hmm. Well, it was... Columbia, Bogota, the capital city of Mm. Columbia. The Bogota Philharmonic Orchestra hoped to, quote-unquote, send a message of solidarity, of peace and of union to the people of Colombia and commemorate those killed. Another quick trivia question. Which piece of music is it mandatory for radio and public television in Colombia to play every day at 6am and 6pm? Is it the national anthem? Yes, it is. O Gloria in Marchesible. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. O Unfading Glory, translated. Uh, would you like to hear Shakira singing it? My hips don't lie. La libertad sublime, oh gloria inmarcesible, oh fútilo inmortal. Sticking in the Americas, what are Broadway's top three weekly grosses pre-pandemic and how many million audience members have they played to around the world to date? I bet there'll be people shouting into their headphones with the right answers. Um, Lion King, Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess Hamilton must be at the moment. Um, Maybe Dear Evan Hansen or something like that. That's the guys from Greatest Showman, isn't it? Or Book of Mormon? No, Wicked. Ah, of course it is, old Stevie Schwartz. Mm -hmm. Together they've sold a whopping 176 million tickets combined. Wow. And last week announced they will be resuming performances from September the 14th. The Lion King apparently also had its biggest box office sale in 24 years on the 11th Mm. of May, so congratulations to them. Here in the UK, the West End is getting ready to open its doors with a bunch of shows resuming on the 20th of this month. Great. I have a ticket to the Prince of Egypt, which opens at the Dominion on the 1st of July, Mm. and which... You reviewed for our Debbie Wiseman episode back in March 2020. Yeah, got a lot out of it. Let us hope the Indian variant doesn't put paid to any of these plans. Speaking of which, Yo-Yo Ma is going to play us out with his musical tribute to the devastating impact of COVID-19 currently being felt in India. Here he is performing the Saraband from Bach's fourth cello suite.
analysis. Tim, I don't suppose you've had a chance to catch the final of Young Musician of the Year yet. No, I haven't. But it is on my to-listen list. It's a very lovely occasion. And as much as competitions in music are broadly silly, they do help to bring new performers to our collective attention. Notably this year, the three finalists, percussionist Fang Zhang, oboe player Ewan Miller, younger brother of Maddie, friend of the pod, and Anne-Marie Fedela, who played the horn. Mm, I've heard some of her performance, actually. It was completely bewitchingly gorgeous. I, I thought it was a stunning bit of playing and a stunning piece. Uh, what was great about this year's final was that we had three concertos that were fresh to so many listeners. Kiko Abe's Prism Rhapsody for percussion, Oscar Navarro's Legacy Concerto for oboe, and Ruth Gipps's Horn Concerto. Mm, I guess these young performers are already ambassadors for new repertoire, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And I thought we could spend a bit of time looking at Ruth Gipps's piece, seeing as we mentioned her last week. Ah, uh, yes. She turned out not to be the first woman to cycle around the globe. <laughs> no. I'm sure she could have if she wanted to, but that was Annie Londonderry. Spoilers, if you're listening to them out of uh, order. No, Ruth Gipps was a very well-respected pianist, oboe player, and composer during her life. This, her Opus 58, is the last of six concertos that she wrote. Do check out the clarinet, oboe, violin, piano, and viola concertos if you enjoy today. She dedicated the piece to her son Lance Baker, himself a rather impressive horn player, and he performed the premiere with her conducting in 1969. Mm. We are about to hear a snippet from the only professional recording. Soloist David Pyatt plays with the LPO and conductor Nicholas Braithwaite. Sadly, although the recording was done in the mid-90s, it didn't get released until 2007, eight years after Gibbs's death. Here's a smidgen of the middle movement, a scherzo. I can see why this one would appeal. A scherzo is meant to be a joke, after all. Speaking of which, my current favourite musical joke? Oh no, what is it? Why did the sailor buy a Pavarotti album? I don't know, but I'm thrilled to be finding out. Why why did the sailor buy a Pavarotti album? Because he loved the high seas. So are there? <laughs> that's terrible. Are there any jokey features in the Gips scherzo? Well, there are things I find funny, Tim. But as we've established, my sense of humour may not match everybody's. Mm. Funny thing number one. <laughs> it's a favourite of this pod. A bit of metrical dissonance. Ah, uh, yes, as expounded upon in the Brahms Lovin'. The very same. Why is it funny? The scherzo is in seven eight. I mean, already funny, yeah. Already funny because it's a lopsided dance. The three beats aren't even. You've got two lots of two and one lot of three. One, two, one, two, one, two, three. And that's exactly how the accompanying instruments group their lots of seven. One, two, one, two, one, two, three. Whereas the melody groups its seven as one, two, three, one, one, two, three. And they sort of clash and misunderstand each other exactly think the two ronnie's four candles sketch it's the same sounds grouped slightly differently for comedic effect if you give me your current favorite one two and three syllable words we can overlay them on top of each other to exemplify mm. uh one syllable spock diphthong very nice. i really like and uh, flatulent I assume for anyone playing bingo at home that should complete a row so the orchestra are going to play Diphthong, diphthong, flatulent, whereas the melody is flatulent, Spock, flatulent. Fascinating. Can we hear a clip of that? Of course we can. Funny thing number two. At the end of the movement, the horn pretends to be doing a string pizzicato. 
when they pluck the string rather than bow it. To be fair, the, the horn player doesn't have a bow. <laughs> True, but they also don't have a string, which makes it a little bit harder. And they have to do their best impression over a ridiculously wide range. Mm, always funny. Funny thing number three. There are several moments in the scherzo that I've seen described as like a concerto grosso. A, a gross concerto. Thank you for misunderstanding for explanatory purposes. It's a pleasure. It's where rather than just have one soloist competing with the orchestra, one translation of a concerto is a competition, you get a little band of soloists. They play a concerto grosso together, a big concerto. Ah, yes. So rather than just Superman versus the forces of evil, it's one of those where he teams up with his pals in a league or commune. Yeah, a crossover episode. But are those Concerto Grosso moments funny? An actual Concerto Grosso isn't especially funny. But what I like is that the new themes in the scherzo and throughout the piece are often introduced by other woodwind instruments. So the, the clarinet is Aquaman preceding the arrival of the horny Superman. Well, let's not examine that analogy too closely. But it means, as a listener, we're being given all these dummy leads, these funny little false starts. Mm, and here's a slice of when that's happening in the first movement. Such a gorgeous piece. How often do you think it's getting an outing? Well, as far as I can tell, not as much as perhaps its gorgeousness deserves. More familiar to audiences are the other excellent pieces by Richard Strauss, his concerto number one, Mozart's fourth horn concerto, everyone can whistle, and Britain's serenade for tenor horn and strings. Not tenor horn. Not for tenor horn. Mm. Do I need to get the misogyny sting out again? Well, I'm sure that's a factor. Gibbs was making a career in an environment that was overwhelmingly male-dominated. She will have had to forge her own path. But there are some other factors to consider too, musical factors. The first movement isn't as bombastic and heroic as some audiences might delight in. It's more pensive and introverted. Mm, bit of Harold initially for Horn. Yeah, I think there's a good likeness. And, and like that piece, it's a musical interpretive challenge for the performer, requiring maturity as well as all the real technical challenges that are in it. Mm. I was interested to read David Pyatt, who made that recording, say that he doesn't really perform the piece anymore, as orchestras tend to prefer playing more familiar repertoire. It's just easier for everyone. Yeah, and that's something that came up in my interview with Milos that we'll hear in a bit. He said that persuading orchestras and programmers to put down new concertos is a tough task because they require a lot of rehearsal time. It's a mm. faff. Yeah, yeah, which makes it all the more remarkable that the Young Musician final included three. Oh, exactly. And for any budding horn players out there, it's well worth knowing that as well as the Gips, Dr. Lynn Fulk of Michigan University has listed 25 concertos for horn by women, 21 of which are from the 20th century. You too could pick up the mantle of Anne-Marie and advocate for a lost gem of the horn repertoire. Mm, bring it to more people's attention and help slip it into the canon. Let's hope that we hear more of Ruth Gips and other composers who've somehow got through the net. Programming and performing aren't zero-sum games. There's not a finite amount of music we're allowed to listen to or perform. Let's keep adding fab pieces like this one to our collective consciousness. Please, Spock, do me a favor. And don't say it's fascinating. No. But it is interesting. You got to pick a pocket or two. The finale to Sibelius's Symphony No. 5, written between 1915 and 1919. Strawberry Switchblades, Since Yesterday, written in 1985. <laughs>
you got to pick a pocket or two. Turn you in, turn you in, turn you in, It's really great because before I used to have to go to the countries to do the interviews and yeah. it actually makes you realize that that's a huge, huge waste of time. Mm, and I suppose less of an ecological impact if we're thinking about that kind Absolutely. of stuff as well. No, I do. I actually, actually thought thought about that a lot and actually my, my plan, would be because we were talking about this album even before the, the pandemic, mm. uh, I was suggesting that we actually do like a green campaign where we will use technology to talk to people but then the pandemic just made it obvious so we didn't press fast forward on that one (laughs) yeah exactly thanks so much for doing this man and um i had a wonderful morning sat listening to the moon in the forest today it's got not just one but two brand new pieces on i thought let's just dig in a little bit first on the um the guitar as a concerto instrument because i thought you're often in environments where you control almost everything. When you're sat on stage with the whole Royal Albert all around you, you're the one who dictates every musical aspect. And then going and working with an orchestra, does that draw something new out of you? It's almost like a completely different art, to be honest, because when you are on stage on your own, you have all the time in the world to do anything you ever wished for. And when you are with uh, with an orchestra, there is you know fifty other people on stage with you, and there is a conductor that is pretty much your boss. <laughs> so, uh, so you just have to be a good boy and do 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 what you're told, uh, without going left or right too much. Um, which, to be honest, is always a bit of a problem for me because <laughs> I'm so used to playing recitals that I just love taking time and giving and taking in terms of music, um, but. It's incredible how with experience, because now it's been it's been 10 years that I've been doing it. And and it's incredible how every time I go into a concerto situation, it is like starting from scratch because every orchestra, every conductor has a different idea. And even if it's Aranjuez that I have played so often, um, it's always the same. It's like, I have to go with the mind. I've just prepared it, pretend like it's a new piece <laughs> and make it work. Um, the interesting thing about uh, guitar compared to other instruments in, in, in a concerto setting is also that guitar is a much quieter instrument yeah. and it means that it requires an amplification. Now, this is something that scares a lot of conductors and you will very often see that ambitious conductors, let's call them like that, <laughs> um, would, would not... Uh, do a guitar concerto in the first place. And that's because they prefer to do a symphony or like a big concerto for piano or violin or cello, you know, the standard stuff. Yeah. So um, to, to approach this idea of a concerto from a different angle was uh, the idea behind my collaboration with Joby, first and foremost. Mm. Uh, because I thought that someone like him would be up for it and would actually take it in his stride. I uh, love playing the existing repertoire. I think there is some incredible music out there. Rodrigo's both concertos are amazing. Um, Aranjuez and Fantasia para un gentilombre. The Villa Lobos, or there's a Castelnuovo Tedesco yeah. concerto, which is one maybe my favorite, but I never get to play it because they don't want to. They don't want to program. Yeah, too many ambitious conductors. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know when, when you work with an amazing conductor like like um, like I did with Yannick Nezet-Segan when we did the recording of the Rodrigo some years ago, that was. It was just like life changing. It's 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 incredible to, to, and it actually proves what we talked about just a second ago, uh, how different it is to work with a conductor and how mm. working with a great conductor can be so amazing and life changing, because it just it actually makes you better, and then you start to prefer being with a conductor and with the orchestra than being on the stage alone. And it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, drawing different um, elements out of yourself can be uncomfortable at first right that initial stage but i suppose when you yeah get comfortable you've become a more rounded musician is the aim yeah of 
course. Every day you pick up the guitar or an instrument you play and you want to be a more well-rounded, more experienced musician. And, and it's a process that never ends. So the the um, Joby Talbot Ink Dark Moon is um, he's a composer I've really enjoyed getting to know a little bit more uh, of his stuff in the last eighteen months. It's really sort of come onto my horizon. How did you two come to work together? I was kind of aware of Joby and his music and his career and what he was doing, um, but not to a, like an amazing level. Uh, there was a couple of things in chamber music that he wrote there was a string quartet that i heard at once and i was like oh my god this is really cool Mm. um and then when the ballet the alice in wonderland came out in covent garden um that was like everywhere and it was being written about and i thought i really ought to see this and 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 when i'm not on tour i pretty much live in uh, the royal opera and ballet (laughs) so i heard this music and i was like okay the choreography was incredible Christopher Wilder and that whole thing like magic um but the music was like oh it's just incredible and it's so rare nowadays to get music written for a ballet that can actually work on its own yeah uh, it's like Tchaikovsky a little bit you know it just doesn't matter you don't need the ballet to enjoy the Swan Lake or the Nutcracker um and uh and I just thought this music had something that sort of um, naturally fit how I felt towards new music and how I felt towards new music for guitar. Mm. So it was uh, the next thing, like when it was finished, I, I, I called Jill, Jill Graham, who I know very, very well, um, and and who is Joby's agent, publisher. Uh, and I said, and I said, well, tell me more and like can i meet joby can i talk to him so she made it happen and we and we met and first of all we instantly became friends because he is just the nicest person ever and then uh, the bbc symphony orchestra was excited about the idea of the collaboration and we pretty much started working on it immediately it was a just one of those things that happened there is a lot of these conversations that go on you know over the years and not a lot happens in the end for this reason or the scheduling or priorities in a composer's life or my life but it's uh it, it was just one of those things that was so easy to make happen and 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 i think that also shows in the in the result mm. he rather diplomatically in his program note describes the guitar as a very confusing instrument to write for mm. as a non-player which i thought was yeah. sweet as someone who no doubt has thought very hard about how the guitar works since but um for our student composers out there listening what are the top tips that you'd give them uh for writing for guitar uh the top tips are write whatever you want to write without thinking of guitar's limitations because it's my job to make it work the second top tip is you can do all of that if you stick to the keys that work on the guitar (laughs) okay so if you write c sharp major it's not gonna work but if you stick to the A, to the E, to D, it's going to work because there are open strings that resonate and make the guitar sound like a guitar. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And then the third thing is like, if you if you are in doubt, uh, if it works on one hand on the piano, it's going to work on the guitar as well. Ah, oh, that's a very helpful tip. So those are kind of the three things. Um, my personal tips as like for what I like in, in, in the new music that's written for me to be like is that it's not atonal um, and intellectual, but rather emotional. Mm. Because I feel that guitar is an emotional instrument. It's a melodic instrument. It's a harmonic instrument. It's an instrument that needs to resonate those beautiful harmonies in order to connect with people. Mm. And while on some instruments you can have incredible pieces written 
in uh, you know using a, um, a different language. I think on the guitar, it's harder, much much harder. Interesting. Uh, I hadn't so, thought of that as a sort of different instruments lending themselves more to different kinds of tonality. Mm. But, um, yeah, that's a really interesting way of breaking down certainly uh what's going to work for different instruments in a solo context and yeah i'll, I'll put that one in the in the noggin yeah. and, and think <laughs> about that in future actually what, what what joby did very well is like he he, he took this idea of open strings and like he just yeah. took the open strings of the guitar because uh, you know guitar is really uh, i think that's why it's so popular when you start playing it even if you strum the open strings it sounds really nice <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and if you know a couple of chords it sounds really nice but then the more you play it the harder it gets mm. it's a bit like the English language you know it's easier to start and then if you want to speak it properly it becomes much more complicated yeah building in the um, idioms and nuance is uh, exactly the next level along start working with Howard Shaw for instance who's already a, a very familiar composer to many people again is that something that comes about with a personal connection 100% I think personal connection is not only important to to make something happen but to have um, a good thing happen because mm. if if something is just a form or a reason that is not personal I think it's just not the same um, and I'm I'm someone that loves to be close in a personal way to everybody I work with and mm-hmm. and all the people that work with me will vouch for that because I just I just I just love it to to know the person and then I feel we can work so much better together yeah. um, with Howard um, it was an idea that actually came from Alexander Shelley, who was a conductor in Ottawa. Mm. Uh, he's the principal conductor of the National Arts Centre Orchestra in Ottawa, which is the National Orchestra of Canada. And uh, we were playing together in Munich and we were doing the Aranjuez and afterwards we went for dinner and we we kind of knew each other from you know our student days in London and, and, and all that. And, and, and we, we had a nice evening and after a performance of the Aranjuez, Alex said, well, I'm going to, to Canada and we talked about new repertoire and so on. And, and I said, well, it's, I, I just always want to see whether there is some sort of possibility to, to inspire some, someone to, to write a new piece. And it would be so exciting if we, if we did it in Canada. I actually love going to Canada. I, I just think it's such a wonderful audience um, and a wonderful country. And then somehow it just worked. He he uh, and the orchestra they got in touch with Howard. They 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 felt it. And then the next thing I know was that I was when I was I was playing a concert in New York, and Howard was in the audience. And he came to me afterwards and he said, "Well, I would love to write the concerto for you because I actually have known your work and I'm a fan of your work. And 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 like, how do we do it? So <laughs> uh, so it was very special because to meet someone like that in itself is an incredible privilege because he is such a prolific composer and and i have so much respect for for howard because how many scores did he end up writing for how many films and every time it's something different and so it's it's so poetic the way he writes and and i felt the same like with joby but in a totally different way it was something that would work on the guitar and i knew that howard was going to come back with a piece which was going to be much more classical and the way that it works will be much more in line with a concerto style in the sort Mm. of more classical period style as much as i knew that joby's was going to be more challenging the norm and more challenging the idea of a concerto in the first place so uh, when I when I premiered the the, the shore, it was after Tobot, 
it somehow felt that they, for some reason, which I still don't understand, they somehow connected. And they just felt like they were part of the same process, even though they were so different and actually came from two completely different angles and two completely different time periods. Mm. Um, but sometimes it just works out like that. Yeah, there's a sort of affinity between them, even if it's not, uh, it's certainly not conscious in their writing deliberately, but it's a sort of connection. Yeah. Maybe it's you. I think that might, there's a case for that. But uh, his concerto is called The Forest. And uh, I believe he lives in a forest. And I think, did you grow up around forests as well? What's your relationship with forests like? Well, I have a very, very strong bond with nature. And whether it's, it's, I, I spent my favorite days of my life on the coast in Montenegro. And uh, the coast is actually very rich with pine forests and, and, and having these walks in the hills and actually it's like a, it's a dramatic mountain that just crashes into the sea. That's how Montenegrin coastline is like. So when you are on the sea, it's so easy to go up, you know, a couple of kilometers and then you are in the most beautiful forest. And it's a very, very special feeling, this combination of the pine forest and the sea and the air and the south and the Mediterranean. Uh, or even now when I talk about it, I miss it so much. Man, you should do tourist adverts. It sounds like uh, they should get you as a spokesman. But um... yeah. <laughs> You know, when we were talking and when we spent days together, um, I was telling him about my background, about history of Montenegro, about my personal history there, about that part of the world in general, because he hasn't been there. And uh, the one thing I did talk about was these kinds of very old forests and and how important they were for us and how much of, a, of an identity we all felt towards them. Mm. And, and, and he just took, took all those influences and then used them in the piece. And, and he used them in such an elegant way. Like there were, there were moments in the, in the piece where he would take quotes, but it would be just a, a sniff of a quote. It would be just a little, like a memory of, of, of a quote. And it would be a song that I would, share with him that I remember as a child that my grandmother would sing it to me or that you know that I sang in the choir or you know some there there are these beautiful beautiful little songs that I I love from back there and and you would just hear it or like there is also a moment in the second movement of his concerto where suddenly there is this interval and it's like even though huh? it goes you know <laughs> yeah, yeah and i and i said did you deliberately do that because that sounds like Aranjuez. and he said yeah that was my my you know hats off to the old old master and and because it's it's his fault that that i am now also writing a guitar concerto because he put you guys on the map and it's so true yeah, there's that. Is it in the second movement? There's a sort of big tutti entry, and I, yeah. I sort of sat up and went, "Hang on, um, yeah. <laughs> what's this? Am I'm, I in the wrong? Have movie I skipped track? Yeah, yeah, exactly." But um, <laughs> it was. Um, but that's wonderful to have a interaction with uh, canon in terms of the instrumental canon, the concertos, but then also your your personal canon, what you bring with you and your memory and experience. That's a that's exactly what you want out of thought from a relationship with a composer yeah. is to link on that personal level is. It sounds, yeah, really special. You mentioned about your student days in uh, London there, and I think I've seen you describe them as moving to Mars. And <laughs> y- like you've, you've stayed. <laughs> so yeah. um, how was that transition for you? Well, it was like moving to Mars, but it was a planet that I liked very much. I came here when I was, I just turned 17 when I came here, uh, started the academy. It was all I ever wanted, but I had no idea what I wanted. I was blessed with very vivid imagination and and I think that was part of the reason why I chose music in my life and why I decided to to give it my all, despite the fact that doing that where I'm from in the 90s was not exactly <laughs> the most brilliant career choice. Yeah. Just remember when I would go to bed at night and 
I grew up in such a loving family. It was really, I'm so lucky in this way. But every time I would go to bed, I would sort of dream about one day playing at the Albert Hall or with an amazing orchestra or the things I would see on TV, I would somehow dream that I would be doing that one day. And and in, not in any sort of arrogant way, but in just in some sort of a dreamlike way. And for some reason, it was always London in my mind. I don't know, London has this incredible image uh, of being the center of the world. And when you're in London, you are part of the whole world. And once when I was, uh, when I had an opportunity to travel to Italy, it was, there was a masterclass uh, being organized there. And I never really heard an amazing guitarist play at that point because we didn't have concerts or anything. And at that time, nothing was, we didn't have internet. It was different, different era. So I heard in this masterclass uh, that the Royal Academy of Music was like an amazing place to study, that the, the person who was playing was David Russell. I don't know if you know David Russell, but he's my favorite guitarist classical guitarist it's quite a ever. good recommendation yeah <laughs> yeah he's 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 incredible um and um and david told me like if you're serious about this you should consider studying at the academy and for me that was it yeah. like i just thought that's what i'm going to do i'm going to study there mm. and then i came and it was like uh, being thrown into the deep end but i was you know what i was lucky for i I was at the academy and I remember first couple of weeks around me, they were incredible musicians. And back in Montenegro, I was the really the only one who was doing it. I was already quite well known. I had a lot of attention and, and suddenly I was like, no one, no one knew who I was. And around me were all these fantastic musicians and they all went to Menuhin School, to Cheetons, uh, international students. They were all playing amazingly. They all had perfect pitch. They all understood harmony and theory and <laughs> all of this stuff that I had no clue about. I spoke English, but not amazingly. Uh, New so and Canadians I, to come. Yeah, exactly. And for the first couple of weeks, I used to go to the academy in a tracksuit and trainers. Yeah, because look. because because I thought that that was like what people did, and and in Montenegro that's how we were always in tracksuit and trainers, yeah. and suddenly I just now when I see the pictures, I'm thinking, oh my god, they must have thought that I was this <laughs> crazy Eastern European person. Uh, anyhow, I'm digressing all the time, but you know, even though these students around me were incredible, there was. One thing that I somehow subconsciously felt that I had an advantage of. Hmm. I wasn't scared to be who I was. Yeah. Because I never had to compare myself to anyone. It's quite powerful that, isn't it? Not being able to look sideways at yeah. uh, you know, peers, directly comparable people. Um, I think it's why if I go into Royal Academy, even now, I get little palm sweats just a little bit. Yeah, just kind of. Oh, did you a, study there? I did the Saturday mornings as a kid okay. um, for yep. sort of end of end of school. I went and played the trumpet and um, yeah, encountered a lot of very brilliant people and thought, wow, that's amazing. Amazing and a wonderful enriching But it experience. can be intimidating. Yeah. It can be very intimidating. And if you... <laughs> And somehow I, I think what, what my experience in Montenegro, despite all the all the holes in my education, that that was much easier to manage and to make up than if I had a lack of self-confidence or self-belief or, or not knowing who I was. I knew that I came to London to be the best musician I could be. And if after a performance, uh, a brilliant guitar colleague of mine came and said so how how did it go or uh, were you pleased with that uh, they always used to make fun of me because i would say it was amazing like i was so happy with it because <laughs> i genuinely was yeah, yeah but it, it's not just, a typically british response to that or, no or, and, and or, they would always yeah. say oh it was rubbish or like i didn't do well or this didn't work or that didn't work and i just always thought that's a waste of time because there's something so beautiful about performing live and and it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. And 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 you might as well just enjoy yourself. And next time, if 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 it's not perfect, next time will be better. 
but the whole point is that you are like sharing something with people in front of you. And for me, that was the most important thing. finish with a game let's finish with a game i've got okay. <laughs> so do you know rock paper scissors yeah yeah okay so i thought we could rebrand this for the classical music world and bring great art into their everyday so we can do uh milosh moon forest right so we're gonna okay. we're gonna swap them in <laughs> and i've got halfway there or mo- some of the way there and uh so milos defeats forests obviously because they get chopped down to create guitars that's my oh no. no 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 we or... can't chop down for it. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 would does does make guitars is there a specific no of course there's, there's this beautiful it's either cedar or spruce okay so specifically used... a few cedar or spruce trees okay. specifically that's the only forest we're we're on at the moment okay um Fine. and then not the amazon no no, no, no none of the <laughs> none of the important ones uh forest defeats moon because it blocks it out that's my theory. Okay. That's what I'm going with. Okay. I haven't yet got a way that the moon defeats you yet. So I wonder if you can... Oh, it does, because I can't sleep when it's full. Ah, well, I mean, this is perfect. There we go. You uh, know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sort of a classic definition of a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> Little werewolf, occasionally. Um, and I thought the perfect way to round out an audio uh, interview is with a game that relies on hand symbols. I thought that yeah, there's no okay. there's no better way than with some okay. silent hand symbols. I think maybe moon is like a, a C, like a crescent moon. Yeah. I've got forest is like a high five open palm. Okay. And then Milos, a little bit of a guitar. Is that fair? Like um, an O sign, like, like how you're o. holding the plectrum. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Like an O. Okay. Um, Fine. We'll, we'll put the rocky soundtrack underneath it. We'll amp it up. This is for the the world championship. It's the uh, the okay. undefeated champ <laughs> of the Milos Moon Forest uh, competition. Milos Moon Forest. Okay. All right. One, two, three. Show. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, one, one, two, three. three. Oh, we both oh. have a forest. A draw. Perfect. <laughs> draw. Okay. We'll call it. We'll call it a draw. Okay. Okay. Once more. One, One, two, three. three. Oh, we forget a draw! I can't believe it. We've formed obviously such a strong personal connection. It's your your power to do so. Now we're inseparable. Um, Final time. This has to be it. One, two, two, three. three. (laughs) So you, you're Milos, and I am Forest. So you defeat me. You chop me down. Um, hey, well, that is a strange way to end it. I just thought you, you, you've been doing a lot of these. You surely won't have done that before. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not. But it's fun. And I won. So hey, you, yeah, well, exactly. I bet they'll be doing it in the queues uh, for the proms now. You just watch, wait and see. Um, you are back at the Royal Albert Hall on the 17th. Is that right? What are you going to be playing? There? Yeah, July 17th. Uh, it's a full recital in the round, which is how I love to do it the most. Uh, and it's just standard guitar riff. So I'm going to play Bach Chacon. I'm going to play Albanese transcriptions of uh, Granada and Sevilla and Asturias. I'll play Villa Lobos preludes. Um, maybe a couple of Beatles songs, but not the obvious ones. <laughs> and I even have a little piece of Dowland and oh, yeah. it's going to be very, very, very nice. Like the sort of music that I've loved the most um, over the past 10 years and and, and beyond. Um, and it feels like an amazing way to, to sort of celebrate that and to use it as a sort of a end of one period and then the beginning of another. And so I, I want to do that to the repertoire that meant the most to me is my life and my career great hey well watch out for the audience playing milos forest and moon 
uh, out there and best of luck for mm. it. Really enjoyed the new album. Hope everyone goes and has a listen. And uh, yeah, really nice chat, you man. Thanks very much. You too, Sam. Really, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Great. Uh, I'll catch you in a bit. Sam, a few thank yous that you would like to pass on before we sign off. I have thank you to Paula Miles from Lyrita Records for allowing us to use that clip of the Gips. Mmm, Paula! Mmm, Paula. And also to Dr. Jill Halstead and Dr. Lynn Folk for their mm. many efforts on promoting Ruth Gips and her stuff. Mm. It's made my life researching her much easier. Jill and Lynn. Jill and Lynn. I hope they hang out. Uh, and to the double M's, Milosh and Maddie for mm. setting up the interview. And Milosh for being such a good sport and playing that game with me. Right on, Milosh. Good for him. Tim, tell me of the birthdays. <laughs> Those days of births. The anniversaries. There's a line of really good ones. Miles Davis, 26th oh. of May. 27th of May, Thea Musgrave. Mm. That's a good one. 28th of May, Georgie Ligeti. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 29th of May, this is a real slam dunk. <laughs> Eric Korngold, Yanis Zinakis, Michael Barkley of Private Passions. Oh, uh, yeah. Danny Elfman, Latoya Jackson, and our favourite Spice, genuinely my favourite Spice Girl, anyway, Mel B. What a range. An even greater range than my reaction noises there. Mmm! Huh? Red! Let's quickly remind our listeners to like and subscribe. How else will new people come across our strange sounds? Yeah, do. Because if we get enough listeners, we might be able to secure that Prince Charles interview that we've been gunning for for about two years. If it wasn't for these remarkable composers, we wouldn't be able to find a way of, of relating to these extraordinary mysteries, really. Fascinating.